Welcome to the Eastridge Church East Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. Hey, everybody. My name is Michael Watterson. Um, I'm going to be reading out of Revelation chapter 3 today, so please stand for the reading of the word. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes, so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious, and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who hears with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Yeah, you guys have a seat. Thank you, Micah. Uh, man, I don't know about y'all, but listening to that, uh, the lion roar at the end of that video, right? It's just so good. Anybody else is like, yeah, come on, right? Um, and then Micah with that voice. What a voice. You guys hear that voice? Man, so I don't, I don't know, man. You make me sound like a little kid up here. Um, thank y'all for being here this morning. We are continuing our Revelation series, second week today. If you guys uh, were not here last week or if you didn't get to check it out online last week, um, just a real fast uh, recap of what Pastor Scott shared with us, kind of opened up for us last week in this amazing letter to the church. And I do want to be clear about this because people... Um, I think it just gets so kind of, I don't know, real like, real weird, right? Real weird about Revelation, real anxious and real like uh, opinionated and real kind of, I don't know. It's just, it is obviously, it has interesting imagery, even weird imagery and different kinds of things going on in it with battles and plagues and all these, it's, it's, it's crazy. But um, I want to say this, this book, this letter, and Scott said this last week, it is a gift to the church. It is meant to be a gift to the church. It is for us. It was for them. It is for us. It has been for Christians for all time. And until Jesus comes back, it is a book. It is a letter given to us really for for the main purpose of calling the Christians, us, to see Jesus for who he is and be reminded that he wins. He's already won, and he's going to win. It's happening, and it will happen. And so for us just to be encouraged and to persevere to the very end. So what's going on in this book is this. 
John, the Apostle John, probably Jesus' best friend on the earth. Um, he was the longest-lived apostle. He was the only one who was not martyred for his faith. They tried to, actually. Um, but it didn't work, and uh, they exiled him to this island called Patmos. And while he was on this island, Jesus shows up and reveals to him, revelation reveals to him, uh, what is going on and what is to come right, for the church. And so he writes it down for us. Now, uh, throughout this book, you're going to see that John says things like, and then I saw, right? Raise your hand if you've read the whole book of Revelation. Awesome. If you haven't, please, please go read it, okay? Because as you read through it, you're going to see John say, and then I saw. So what's going on is there's these windows, right? There's these windows that John is just kind of looking through. So uh, we want y'all to understand from the outset, this book is really not chronological, it's not John going, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, necessarily. He's saying, and then I saw. So it's almost like he's standing in a room full of windows, and he's like, he looks at this window, and then he looks over here at this window, and then he sees this window, and he's just being amazed at all the things that Jesus is showing him. Because uh, we have like the very end in Revelation 5, where we're all around the throne room of Jesus, and then we go to Revelation 12, and there, there's something that happens like way before that. So it's not necessarily chronological, it's just, and then I saw something, right? So we're kind of looking through these windows. Um, also, I just want to say this because uh, it is important to say, um, as we go through the series, there's going to be times probably um, where we you know, open up some things and say some things uh, that you might not agree with, and that's okay, all right? We just want to be real clear about it. There, there's room for disagreement in here, all right? There's room for disagreement. When we get to, um, I'm going to preach again in a few weeks, and we're going to talk about the millennium. Okay, and you're going you're gonna to probably have an opinion about the millennium and when Jesus is coming back and when the rapture is going to happen, if it happens. Um, some people don't believe, all, you know, all of that. So there's room to disagree on some of this. We agree on the, the main things. Again, Jesus wins, right? Jesus wins. We got to pick a side and we got to persevere to the end with him, okay? And we overcome by his blood and, and his blood alone. Right, we we agree on that. When exactly the timeline goes down, we can debate a little bit, and I think it's fun just to have those have those conversations. This book is full of intense imagery. It is full, and the reason that this book is written the way that it's written, I believe, is to just kind of waken us up, waken up our senses and our affections for Jesus in a way that maybe the Gospels don't, a little bit differently, right? When you read the Gospels, and Pastor Scott talked about this last week, as you read Luke chapter 2, and baby Jesus is born in this manger, and it's beautiful, and it's awesome. And then in Revelation, we see that while that was going on, there was a dragon trying to eat him, right? Revelation just kind of opening up and going, look, there was a whole spiritual thing going on behind the scenes of that, to understand that this is way more perilous and dangerous than we maybe ever understood before. But at the same time, we have no reason to fear. I love, man, I love uh, the kingdom of God and Christianity and the way the Bible teaches us um, that there's so many things that are just so like, man, we're called to fear God but fear nothing, right? It's almost like paradoxical the way that we live our lives, um, but it's beautiful. And Revelation opens that up for us. Um, So today... Today we're going to jump into Revelation 2 and 3, and Micah read Revelation 3, the very end of it, um, and we're going to kind of key in on the church of Laodicea, um, but we are going to see Jesus kind of talk to seven different church congregations in the area of Asia Minor. So before we really jump into all the craziness that's going down in this book, it's kind of like Jesus this morning is just going, we need to have a talk, church. Like you, you, anybody ever have a family meeting? 
He'll do family meetings. People still do family meetings? Raise your hand if your family still does family meetings, right? I don't know if that's a thing. I think maybe today it's like the kids call the family meeting or something. I don't know if that shouldn't be that way. Um, but when I was a kid, the mom and dad, they called family meetings, right? Like it was, you know, somebody wasn't doing the chores right or, you know, there was a lot of bickering going on. Me and my brother, we probably had a good throwdown fight once a week, something like that. So um, just every now and then mom and dad had to be like, hey, guys, uh, living room now. Sit on the couch, shut your mouths, family meeting, right? And um, honestly, this is a little bit of what's going on here that Jesus is like, man, we're, we're going to get into what's going on. But first, family meeting. And we, we need to talk about some things. And so Jesus is speaking to seven, diff- seven different congregations in seven different cities. This is Ephesus. Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. If you were to look at the map, they're all in kind of one little circle um, right there in Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. Um, And the reason, I believe, and I think the Revelation is a lot like this all throughout the book, the reason that Jesus chooses these churches and speaks kind of specifically to them, and a lot of scholars see it this way as well, um, is is mainly for this reason, that you can kind of read the words that Jesus gives to these churches. And if you were to read chapters 2 and 3 and kind of read all of this, you would be able to see in what he says to some of these churches, you would be able to see modern-day church in this. And I think the reason that it's kind of written the way it's written and Jesus says what he says is so that every church for all time could read this and go, that's us. He's talking to me. He's talking to us. Absolutely, God in his sovereignty is able to write something to them for them that us today, we could look at it and go, man, this is every bit as much to us and for us as it was to them. Um, And interestingly enough, throughout Revelation, numbers mean things. Throughout the Bible, numbers mean things. You might know what the number seven means in Scripture. Perfection, completion, right? Completion. Um, And we're going to see that just a little uh, foreshadow to the beast What's his number? 666, not 777, right? So perfection, completion, that's the number seven, right? So he's writing to seven churches. And again, I think the point of that is this is the church, complete church. This can be written to all churches for all times. So he's going to say four things to every one of these seven churches. He's going to say four main things. There's kind of four themes throughout these two chapters. The first thing is this. He's going to introduce them to himself. He's going to tell them who he is, Jesus. He's going to say, this is who I am. The second thing he's going to do is he's going to introduce them to them. This is who you are. So he's going to tell them who he is. He's going to tell them who they are. The third thing he's going to do is he's going to tell them what to do. And the fourth thing he's going to do is he's going to tell them what's at stake. This is who I am. This is who you are. This is what you need to do. And this is what is at stake. If you listen to me, and he's going to conclude it by saying, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is Jesus speaking, and at the same time, it is the Spirit. How do we hear the Lord's voice? We hear by his Spirit in us, speaking through his his scriptures. So let's read. Jesus is going to introduce us to himself first here to the church of Laodicea. This is uh, Revelation 3.14. It says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea writes, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's grace. And so Jesus begins by telling them who he is, the amen, 
the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Why does Jesus begin with every one of these churches? Why does he begin with, this is who I am? Why doesn't he just start with, this is what I need you to do? Why does he start with, this is me? I want you to see me. Here's the answer. Because correct living must begin, church, with correct theology. It starts with us knowing who God is. If you don't believe that, man, just look through your Bibles. Just read the scriptures, and you're going to see over and over and over again, God introduced us to himself over. And we, we often kind of look at the Bible and think it's just a book of rules, right? And a lot of non-Christians especially kind of look at us and look at our, our scriptures, and oh, it's just a bunch of rules. People just follow a bunch of rules, but here's the truth. We don't get to any commandments until we're 70 chapters into the Bible. You guys know this, right? Exodus chapter 20, that's the Ten Commandments. We've been through Genesis 50 and Exodus 1 through 19, right? And those 69 chapters before that one is just what? It's just God going, this is who I am. Look at me. Look at how amazing I am. Why does the Bible open up with in the beginning God created, not in the beginning God said do something. It's just the whole thing is look at me, look at me, know me, trust me, follow me, see me. I'm awesome. What does Jesus do Man, I was just reading this this morning, uh, Luke chapter 24. What does Jesus do after he resurrects from the dead? And he goes and he speaks to his disciples. What does he do? Before he ever tells them to go, the Great Commission, like go into all the world, he, he spends days with them just showing up and going, hey guys, check me out. Look at me. Touch, touch my hands. See me. Eat with me. Talk to me. He even says he, he like walks with those two guys, you know, like the road uh, to, to Emus, and he like walks with these two guys, and they don't even know who he is. And then it says he like sits down with them, and he opens up the whole, it says he opens up the whole scriptures to them. Wouldn't you love to have that moment with Jesus, where he explains the whole Bible to you? And it says he explains the whole scriptures point to himself. Oh, man. Like, would you love to be those two guys in that moment? Jesus is just going, would you just look at me? You want to live Right? You want to do what I'm calling you to do, you need to know who I am first. Man, I, I really think that many of us, many of us struggle with so much in our lives, so much sin and so much fear and anxiety and all these other things that we struggle with. And I'm not saying if you have anxiety or you have depression, it's just because. I'm not saying that. I know there are other reasons, but I am saying, man, it doesn't help when we don't know God. I don't actually know who he is. 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, it actually says this. Um, if we could put that up on the screen, 1 Thessalonians 4, 5. He's, he's talking to the Thessalonians, and he tells them not to live their lives in passionate lust like the heathen, listen, who do not know God. He, he's telling the Thessalonians to repent and turn away from their sins, and he says, guys, you're just acting like people who don't know God. That's a solution to their sin. The solution to their sin was not, you know, get some self-help. It was no God. That's what you act in like. And A.W. Tozer says it this way. Some of you guys have probably read some of A.W. Tozer's work. He says, what comes to a man's mind when he thinks about God is the most important thing about him. And he also says, he says, the man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. And that if we would just know God, how our lives would change, guys. It's so simple, and he has given us a lot of ways to know him, a lot of words, and a lot of time that we can spend 
with him. And I think if I could just make an observation about the last year, two years of our lives in this country. Man, when, when 2020 kind of went down in March and everything started to unfold and unravel, man, just seeing the world lose their minds. And so often seeing Christians fall right along in there with them, just losing their minds at grocery stores and at schools and in society and at their homes and at their jobs and all over Facebook. And it just makes me wonder, man, and I just want to ask the question, were, were you one of those people that just found yourself, look, when, when, when COVID hit or political turmoil or social unrest was going down, when the world was kind of falling apart, listen, as it has been since Genesis 3, when the world felt like it was falling apart, man, did you just lose all bearings? And I, I, I just want to lovingly kind of ask you this. Have you considered that maybe it's because your relationship with the Lord isn't what it needs to be? Right? I'm not saying anybody's perfect in this, but I am saying when stuff like that goes down, we Christians should be the first ones who are able to kind of step back and get our bearings in prayer and in the word of the Lord and then be able to step into what's going on. I'm not saying don't step into what's going on. I'm not saying don't raise your voice when it needs to be raised in this world. I'm just saying first we got to know who the Lord is so that we can step into these things properly, right? And so Jesus, Jesus just introduces us to himself first. So he introduces himself to, to, to Ephesus, to the church of, I want to tell you what he says to each one of these seven churches. To the church of Ephesus, he calls himself the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. What that means is he is the Lord of the church. He is the Lord of the, the seven golden lampstands. That's the churches. He is the Lord of the church. To Smyrna, he says this, I am the first and the last. He who is dead and has come to life. What does that mean? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That he has died and he has come back. Amen? This is who he is. To the church of Pergamum, he says, I am the one who has a sharp, double-edged sword. What does that mean? That means that he is an unstoppable and conquering king. And we're going to see him in Revelation 19 use that sword. You know what that sword is? It's his mouth his word. He's going to use that word. We're going to get to that final battle, and we think it's going to be this amazing battle, and it's just Jesus going, no, and it's over, right? That's it. Sword, right? And then he's like, that's me. He talks to Thyatira. He says, I am the son of God with eyes of flaming fire and feet as burnished bronze. You know what that means? It means that he is the all-seeing, all-knowing judge. To the church of Sardis, he says, I am the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And what that simply means is he gives his Holy Spirit to lead and to strengthen his church. He says to Philadelphia, he says, I am he who is holy and true, who holds the key of David and opens and shuts the door to the kingdom. What does this mean? It means that Jesus is the king and he is the door holder to the kingdom. You want to come in the kingdom? You come through Jesus. That's his point. This is who he is. And then to Laodicea, he says, I am the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning, the ruler of all creation. That means the beginning of all creation. He's probably correcting a heresy here that Jesus was created 
He's like saying, no, 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 I'm not created. I'm the Lord of creation, the ruler of creation, the beginning of creation in the sense that I am absolutely supreme above all creation. All creation came from me. Church, we need to know Jesus before we need to know anything else. That's who we need to know. So, man, this letter is for us. And I just wonder this morning, um, man, how many of us, adults in the room, seriously, how many of you have read your entire Bible? And this is not, I'm not asking you this for like homework's sake. It's not about rules. It's not really even about going to heaven. I'm asking you because I want you to know Jesus. And if you don't know his word, it's hard to get to know him. Some of these things aren't going to make as much sense to us. The lion of the tribe of Judah, who in the world is Judah? If you don't know your scriptures, it's not going to make as much sense. I'm just, I'm just giving you an invitation, man. If you want to know him, just open up his scriptures. Number two, so first he tells them, this is who I am. Number two, he tells us, this is who you are. He introduces them to them, right? He tells them, this is who you are. Let's read verses 15 through 17. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. If we are going to be the church that Jesus is calling us to be, and I, I want us to be, we want us to be this church. If we're going to be the church that Jesus is calling us to be, just like we need to see Jesus for who he is, we need to see us for who we are. That maybe we're not who we think we are, at least not all the time. And listen, I want to be clear. I, I think there's a lot of times we're not, we're, we're not as wretched as we might think we are, because I think there's times we forget we're sons and daughters of God, Right? I think there's times that we forget that we're forgiven and we're redeemed, and we need to know that too. But there's times like this where we also need to understand maybe we're not as good off as we thought we are. Maybe we're a little bit more wretched than we might be thinking that we are. Maybe we've been puffed up with pride. Maybe we've gotten too comfortable. Maybe we've been too rich. There's a reason we wanted to read about the church of Laodicea in our place today because we live in a culture that sounds a lot like this, do we not? Or we just have everything that we want. We're pretty comfortable. Maybe not the last two years, praise God, that maybe we've gotten a little bit less comfortable. You don't know the sovereignty of God. You just look at what he's done in the last two years and ask yourself, is it a good thing or a bad thing that I feel a little bit less comfortable? I think it's a good thing. So he, this is what he's telling to Laodicea. It's exactly what's happening with them. They've become so deluded about who they really are because they're rich, because they're comfortable, because they're happy with their lives. They're safe. They're just, they're, they're, they're safe. And because of that, the faith that they once professed, which was hot and zealous and passionate for the Lord, has just grown, not cold, he says, but what? Lukewarm. Interestingly enough, um, Laodicea sat between two bigger cities, Hierapolis and Colossae. And Hierapolis was known for its medicinal hot springs, and Colossae was known for its awesome cold mountain water. You know what Laodicea was known for? Underground aqueducts 
that brought water to their city, which was just known far and wide for being disgusting. It was tepid, it was dirty, and it was warm. And Jesus, in his grace and wisdom, is just kind of frankly telling this church, because you are rich and comfortable and you believe, listen, you believe that you don't need me is what he's saying. Your faith has become as useless as your water. That's what he's telling them. Laodicea had bought into one of Satan's most dangerous lies. You know Satan is the father of lies. This is what scripture calls him. He is the deceiver. The word Satan really means accuser, that he's just constantly coming at us, accusing us, deceiving us. It's, it's Satan who, who, who puts these temptations so often in front of us and do it, do it, do it, come on, do it. And then we do it and he goes, oh man, I can't believe you did it, right? And he's just cast in shame and he's throwing, but listen, if he is the father of all lies, what is one of the best lies he's gonna tell us? If we, as scripture tells us, are broken and sinful at heart, wretched in our hearts, apart from Jesus, then what is one of the most sinister lies that Satan can tell us? It's this, hey, you're good. You're good. Don't worry about it. Don't, hey, just, you're good. Things are fine. You know? Satan loves self-esteem culture too. I mean, we live in this culture. We swim in this culture. Self-esteem culture. Satan loves a person that is comfortable and just happy with who they are as long as that happiness is not rooted in the amen, the faithful and true witness, Jesus Christ. As long as our happiness is rooted in anything but that, Satan's like, man, be happy. Get happy. You think money is always a sign of God's blessing in your life? Jesus said it is way easier to get into the kingdom of God being poor than being rich. And he even said as it began the Beatitudes, we read this a few weeks ago in Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom. Right? You got to know that you're needy. That's the point. You got to know that you're needy. And it is so hard for us to know that we're needy when we're rich and we're comfortable. And so Satan would just love to kind of point us back to the mirror of self-esteem and just go, ah, you're good. You're great. You're beautiful. You're awesome. And Jesus, just in his grace, is just simply saying to them, and I believe to us this morning, look, you need to know that apart from me, you're not awesome. I'm awesome. I'm the faithful and true witness. You've got, what does he tell the Ephesians? If you go read that one in chapter two, the Ephesians, he says, you've forgotten your first love. It's me. It's all about me. You've made it something that it was never supposed to be. Is it about lights? Is it about a program? Or is it about Jesus? Have we lost our first love? Have we gotten comfortable? And so Jesus introduces them to himself, and then he introduces us to ourselves so that we know him and we know us and we know that we need Jesus. Like I said, maybe the greatest gift of the last two years is that we have finally been shaken a little bit out of the stupor of comfortableness and self-sufficiency and self-satisfaction to a place where we just go, and I, I need something. 
See, when Jesus is talking about being lukewarm, it's, it's hot people who know they need Jesus, right? They know that they need something, and it's Jesus, and they have him. And so your faith is hot, it is boiling, it is boiling over for Christ, right? But cold people also know that they need something. They just don't know what it is but they know that they're needy. They're poor in spirit. That's what Jesus was talking about. And so that's why he says, I wish you were hot or cold. I'd rather you be cold because if you're cold, at least you know you need something and I can work with that. But it's lukewarm. Right there in the middle that just goes, I don't need anything. Right? And that's why Jesus tells them, this is who I am. This is who you are. Maybe the most dangerous spiritual state to be in is a state where you think you need nothing. Where you're just good. You know how many times I've prayed for somebody to hit rock bottom? You've prayed for that too, haven't you? Because we know what happens when people hit rock bottom. They're cold and they know they need. It's when they're lukewarm that they know they need nothing. It's hard to get through to them. So Jesus is just like, man, I wish... You're one or the other. Number three, Jesus is going to tell them what to do. He's going to tell them what to do. Verses 18 and 19, he says this. I counsel you to buy from me. There's that me, right? From Jesus, to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. See, Laodicea was rich and comfortable because they had three very lucrative industries in their, in their city. Three very lucrative industries. The industries were banking, gold, they were wool clothing, and they were eye salve, especially eye salve. That's what they were really known for. So why is Jesus, what, what is he saying to them, right? He says, come get gold from me. Come let me put clothes on you. Come let me heal your eyes so that you can see he's using their industries, isn't he? He's using their language. He's using the very things that they have because I think this is why. Jesus is saying to them, guys, y'all have everything that you want, but you have nothing that you need because you don't know me right now. When we get everything we want, it's so easy for us to overlook the things that we need. And what we need is Jesus to remind us, it's me. It's me. And he's like, man, come to me and get the gold. Come to me and get the wool. Come to me and get the eye salve. You're poor. Buy from me. You're naked. Clothe yourself with me. You're blind. Let me open your eyes again. And then he just says this to them. He says, I love you. Repent. Maybe that's what we need to hear today. I love you. Repent. I love you. Repent. Come back to me. This is a gift to the church. Like I said, revelation is a gift to the church, and these words are a gift to the church. Listen, he's not asking them to repent of just being wealthy or being successful. A lot of you guys are wealthy and successful, and that's not in and of itself a bad thing. He's telling them to repent of this sinful pride. This is probably the root of all sin, is it not? That we get to a place where we believe that we are good enough, smart enough, rich enough, comfortable enough, strong enough to do it on our own. That we can be God better than God. That's the nature of sin. Guys, you might be good at lots of things. You're not good at being God. You're not good at it. You will ruin it. You'll screw it up every time. I've done it. You've done it. That's what sin is. And Jesus is just saying, I love you. Repent of that. 
You're not me. I'm me. You need to know me and you need to turn to me. So he calls them to repent. He actually says, repent with zeal. Be, be, be passionate, be fervent, be zealous, some translations say, and repent. You know what that word zeal means? It means to boil. What are we talking about? Lukewarm. I want you to boil and repent. That's what he's saying. I want you to get hot again. I want your faith to be on fire for me. And how does that begin? It begins with you turning away from sin and seeing me for who I am. To come to me and repent and follow me. Because Jesus has grace on us. He calls us to it. We, we often, so, so often think of repentance as just an ugly and a bad thing. And to be sure, sometimes it feels hard and it is ugly when it comes out of us and it needs to be like that. But this is a gracious gift of God to us. If God hated us, repentance wouldn't exist. You get this. God loves us, and so repentance is the call for his church. This entire book and this entire letter from Jesus to his church is just him letting us know that there is a real fight going on out there. There are real people's lives who need to be saved. There are real souls who are destined for hell that we are called as the light of the world to go and to save, and we are just sitting back asleep, and Jesus is just going, wake up, repent of this. And turn yourself to me and follow me out there. And we wonder why we're just getting our teeth kicked in every day by the enemy. Because we are asleep while he's wailing on us. Jesus is just going, wake up. And Satan's going, shh. Hey, 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 hey. There's a new season of Outer Banks on Netflix. Shh. El Charo. Listen to that guy. Don't worry about it. It's fine. You're doing great. You're here this morning. You're good. It's fall break. You're at church. Good job. Wake up. Jesus is just saying, wake up. He's, he's saying, don't you care? Don't you care that the enemy's having his way with your family? He's having his way with your coworkers. He's having his way with your neighbors. He might be having his way with you. I love you. Repent. And so this morning, here's the call. The call is, let's repent. Maybe for you, this morning it's going to look like just individual repentance, that maybe there's actually some sort of unrepented of sin in your life, something that maybe you just haven't wanted to, to, to let go of up until this point. But maybe you're not following Jesus at all, and today, for the very first time, you've seen that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the faithful and true, amen, the Lord of all creation. You just want to come to him for the first time in your life and say, Jesus, I want to be on your side. So repent and turn to Christ Jesus for salvation. Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus and there's still just something that you've been holding on to that you know that you need to lay down. But maybe for a lot of us in here today, it's just this. Maybe it's collective repentance. This is a thing in the Bible where God calls his people to repent together. And Jesus is talking to this whole church together to repent of a culture and a mindset that just goes, you know what? We're okay just sitting in our cushioned chairs. 
coming once a week and letting that be our spiritual duty for the week and not ever going out there to reach the world for the hope and glory of Jesus Christ. And maybe it's for all of us this morning just to say, God, we together, we repent. So I just want to ask you this morning, would you just listen, like Jesus says, listen to what the Spirit says here to you. And if for the very first time you need to say, Jesus, I I want you in my life, then do that today. And if you need to personally lay something down, do that today. Or if you just want to sit where you're at, if you want to, listen, we're going to have this open. You can come up front. You can kneel. You can do whatever the Spirit leads you to do in this next little bit. But I just want to ask you, would you, with all of us together, would we all repent? What does that look like? And it might look like you realizing that and your prayer life is just soft right now. Maybe you don't see what Revelation talks about, that these things are really going on all around us, and so your prayers are just soft or maybe non-existent. Maybe your witness to others is lacking right now, and so you just need to ask the Lord, God, would you give me boldness to wake up and go and share the good news? Maybe you're, you're not raising your kids in the Lord. I don't know. Look, maybe you're single and you're struggling with that. And I want to say this, embrace it. Married, single, young, old, wherever you're at in your life, you're not where you're at on accident. You're there for a reason and a purpose. I'm asking you to embrace it and wherever you are right now to just go to the Lord. as like, God, I repent of whatever comfort I'm sitting in. And I want to embrace what you have for me to go and to be who you've called me to be. And so Jesus has told us who he is. He's told us who we are. He's told us what to do. And the last thing he tells them what's at stake, and I'm just going to land it right here with this. He's going to tell us what's at stake. He says this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what's at stake is Jesus Knocking on a door this morning. He's just knocking on a door. And what's at stake is is a feast that we get to enjoy with him. Do you guys see this? And we're going to talk more about this feast in the coming weeks. But Jesus wants to prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You all know Psalm 23. And he's going to do that here. But what's at stake is that we can choose this morning whether or not we will turn and repent, whether or not we will open that door and say, Jesus, I know that I need you. I know maybe I'm missing something. I know I'm comfortable. I know my life is safe. I know I'm rich. I know I think that I have everything that I want, but you're trying to show me what I need. And Jesus is just inviting us this morning. He's just inviting you this morning. This is, not, this is not an expectation. It's an invitation to just come, to just come and open that door 
and let Jesus speak into your heart. Listen, I promise you that if you open that door, he will show you a life that, yes, will be at times quite difficult. But I promise you this, it won't be boring. Y'all following Jesus? I'll never tell you that it's easy. But I will tell you that it's never boring. So many people are leaving the ranks of Christianity right now. Why? Because they're, they, they've only grown up believing that faith is about following rules and sitting down and shutting up and being bored. And that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you will come and open, you can sit down and eat with me and sit on my throne forever with me and my Father. That's not boring. And this is what he's calling us to. But we must see him for who he is. We must see ourselves for who we are. And we must listen and obey him in true repentance. He's knocking on the door today. So in this next couple of minutes, I want to ask you to open the door. Right there where you're at in your seat. I know some of you, as, as, as he's knocking, you know that you need to come down here and you just need to lay something at his feet whether that's individual repentance, collective repentance, let's open the door today. Let us not ignore the voice of the one who speaks to the churches, who holds us in his hand, the Lord of all creation, the faithful and true witness, the Amen, the Alpha and Omega, Jesus Christ. has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says that to every one of these seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear. You know what that means? It means, listen. Just listen. Listen, if God spoke to your heart, your mind this morning, not me, God, from his word, um, don't, don't just let this be lunch, conversation, and then we put it on the back shelf, okay? Um, now is the time for us, church. I don't mean Eastridge. <laughs> yes, Eastridge, but church. Big C, church. Now is the time for us to hear these words and obey them and go and live our lives accordingly. Because there's work to be done out there. There's a victory not, not really to be won by us, but just to be realized by us out there. So go do it. But it starts seeing Jesus for who he is, seeing us for who we are, repenting where that needs to happen, and then being obedient. Amen. Let me pray for y'all, and I'll send you up. Let's pray. Father, you are great. You are the Holy One the one who has sent your son, the lion and the lamb, who has died for our sins, risen again, and now reigns forevermore, and who calls us in obedience to follow him so that we may one day reign with him in eternity. 
God, we are so grateful and so thankful. Send us out now. Send these people out now. Enjoy and encourage and in boldness and in humility to worship and glorify your name and to love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church slash give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at Eastridge Church.